You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. because you voted for me. I'm here because you put your trust in me. That's the only reason I'm here. Thank you. Thank you. Got my speech. Want to introduce to you my husband, Terrence. another Marine, my daughter Katja, and, and my other daughter Janelle. I'm telling you that what you are looking at is the American dream. The American dream. When my father came to this country, August 11th of 1963, he came at the height of the civil rights movement from Jamaica. He came and I said to him, but it was such a bad time for us, why did you come? And he said, because America was where the jobs and the opportunities were. And he only came with a dollar seventy-five. One dollar and seventy-five cents. Took any job he could find and he put himself through school and started his American dream. And then yes. And now he's comfortably retired. And then he came and got me when I was six years old. And when I stepped on that Pan Am Boeing 737 and landed at JFK, I landed in a new world. And so let me tell you this. I am not even first generation American. When I joined the Marine Corps, I was still a Jamaican, but this country had done so much for me, I was willing, willing, to die for this country. But I I say to you, 
There are some who want to divide us, and we must not let that happen. They would like us to believe we are back in 1963 when my father came. We can live where we want. We can eat where we want. We own the water fountains. We have had a black president elected not once but twice, and here I am, living proof. In case you haven't noticed, I am black, and I have been black all my life. But that's not what this is about. <laughs> what we are going to do is we are going to now be about the business of the Commonwealth. We have things to tend to. We are going to fully fund our historically black colleges and universities. You're going to hear from your governor-elect, Glenn Youngkin, and he's got a day one plan that I'm already tired about. Don't know how we're going to make it to day two. But he's going to make sure we keep more of our money in our pockets because he's going to get rid of all kinds of taxes. We're going to have safer neighborhoods, safer communities, and our children are going to get a good education. Because education lifted my father out of poverty, education lifted me out of poverty, education will lift us all out of poverty because we, we must have marketable skills so that our children cannot just survive, but they will thrive. And they will create generational wealth. That's what this is about. I'm going to finish up. We love you too. It's a historic night, yes it is, but I didn't run to make history. I just wanted to leave it better than I found it. And with your help, we're going to do that. We're going to have transparent government. And as I used to say as we were on the trail, hold on, Virginia. Help is on the way. The cavalry has arrived. I want to thank my staff because I couldn't have done it without them. We were a ragtag bunch of people. We ran an impossible, improbable campaign against God was exactly with us. Otherwise, we would never have made it. And so I want to finish up by thanking you, Jesus, how sweet it is.
Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet. You've just listened to the victory speech from Winsome Sears, now Lieutenant Governor-elect of the state of Virginia, the Commonwealth of Virginia, as of election night, November 2nd, 2021. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show for episode 181 of season three, episode 246 of this podcast. And I wanted to play that whole speech in part because I think it's really, really important to let our attention spans grow past the 30-second soundbite, past the headline, past the just ponder on this and then flip to that and then flip to this and flip to that. If you read Neil Postman's Amusing Ourselves to Death, he talks about what a corrosive effect the new media has had. And that was before we had the internet to make it even worse. He talks about in Amusing Ourselves to Death, the way radio and television have shortened our attention spans and made us so susceptible to thinking very shallow about what's going on that we need to be informed about. It used to be we needed to know what was going on, what the current events were in our area, in our city, state, or nation, or in the broader world. We needed to know about these things so that we could make informed decisions. So we could make informed decisions for our families, for our homes, for our communities, for our businesses, and yes, when it comes time to vote in an election so we could make informed decisions as to who to elect, who to put into a position of authority over us to execute laws, to write laws, to interpret laws. I don't know a great, great deal about Winsome Sears, the new lieutenant governor of Virginia, but if that speech is any indication, she seems like a winner indeed. Winsome is a super cool first name, by the way. Very cool name, but a very cool story too. What she just laid out there as far as her father bringing their family to America in 1963. $1.75 in his pocket. That is an American story. That is an important story that has endless varieties in each of our ancestry. If we're Americans, we all have somebody in our family tree who has a story like that. They came to America with a hope that they could provide for their families better, holistically. Not just provide financially, but provide in all ways. They wanted their children to be free. They wanted their grandchildren to be free. In many cases, not just to have an economic prosperity, but to have a spiritual prosperity, to be safe. This really gets at the whole reason why I vote Republican. And again, as I've said many times, I don't consider myself a Republican. I consider myself an independent. But I will vote Republican if we have Republicans who are worth their salt. I will vote Republican if we have Republicans who are for this being a nation ruled by laws rather than by men. I am not for tyranny under the guise of disguising itself as progress. Tyranny is not progress. 
The only environment in which tyranny might be progress is relative anarchy. But the reason why we have so much anarchy in this country is because we've been voting supposed progress into office, writing it into our laws, interpreting the laws we already had and the constitutional rights we already had from God for decades on the false promises that in doing so, we would all have a brighter future. And it hasn't worked out that way. It has not worked out to our individual benefit or our collective benefit in the short term, medium term, and long term that tyranny has been disguised as progress and we took the bait. You put a worm on a hook and you put it in the water. And yes, a fish might be really hungry and they might think that worm tastes really good. But you got to realize that there is a sharp, pointed, hard hook attached to that worm. That worm is not a free lunch. It might seem free, but it is not free. And the cost is that now, once you've bit and that hook is in your mouth, now you are at the mercy of the angler. Unless the line breaks, unless the line snaps, the angler is going to have to decide, does he want you for dinner or is he going to throw you back? And any any way you slice it, it was a waste of time. If he throws you back, you still are out. You still lost time, energy, fighting to try and get away, possibly getting away, but maybe not, maybe ending up on a dinner plate. And as a country, yes, I understand. Christians need to put their sights higher than the immediate moment. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So it isn't some individual Democrat, progressive, leftist, Republican, media personality. It isn't a human being that we're supposed to look at as our enemy, first and foremost. Although, on the flip side, Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use and persecute you. So we do have enemies. And we have human enemies. We have people who are flesh and blood who are against us and they want us to fail. They want us to not succeed. They want to destroy us. But even so, even though our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavenly places, by God's grace, we have opportunity to live out the practical ramifications of the gospel on a daily basis. And we're called to do that all through the new Testament, all through the old Testament, all through the wisdom literature, all through the epistles. We are told to live in light of the grace, which God has freely given to us. We're not sanctified by works, whether those works are political or they're social or they're economic or they're business, or they are in the context of the church or in the context of the home. We're not saved by works. Our righteousness is as full. It is as filthy rags. It is as dirty and nasty apart from the grace of God as you can get. And arguably sometimes even worse than doing nothing, except we're called to do something. We're called to be fruitful. We're called to be productive. We're called to be about our father's business. We're called to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, but he gives more grace. Some of us believe in a cheap grace wherein we think we can camp out in a state of inactivity, a state of passivity, a state of slothfulness, a state of laziness. 
And we should not kid ourselves or one another that that is the most spiritual act of worship we can attain. We should believe that the incarnation of Christ is our sanctification. It is our atoning sacrifice. It is God's perfect, sufficient gift to make us right with him. But we should also take from the fact of the incarnation that obedience to the Father in faith by God's grace is good. It is good. We don't want to be moralists, as so many progressives originally were. That's how they came to be progressives, is they were moralists first. They turned the gospel into a moral crusade. We're just about clean living, and that's all there is to it. You don't want to do that and make grace of no account. You don't start in the spirit and then conclude in the flesh, I'm going to do this by my own power, by my own strength, so I can boast in that. No, no, no. But so also, you don't start in the spirit and then say, be warmed and filled. When you see your neighbors, your family, your friends hurting, being oppressed, oppressing one another, we should be preaching repentance and we should be seeking the welfare of the city to which Yahweh our God has brought us in our exile. The New Testament describes we as Christians in the terms of the exiles in Babylon in the Old Testament. The exiles in Babylon in the Old Testament are a foreshadowing of the life of the Christian all over the world in places where they don't know Jesus. They might have heard of Jesus. They might know some facts about Jesus, but they don't know our Savior. They don't know our Christ. And so how do we operate? How do we be in the world and not of the world? How do we conduct ourselves in a way that testifies to the goodness of God, to the grace of God, to the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do we conduct ourselves and orient our lives and arrange our homes? Well, part of how we do that is that we seek the welfare of the city. Take a wife, have children, have sons and daughters, as it says in Jeremiah 29. Give your sons and your daughters away in marriage and encourage them to have children so that you've got grandchildren. Increase and do not decrease in the land. Build a house for your family. Fill it with good things. Work. Seek the welfare of the city. Pray for the city. Pray for the welfare of the city, that God would bless the city he's brought you to in your exile. And look at this speech from Winsome Sears. She's talking about in 1963, in the middle of the civil rights movement, her father bringing their family here with $1.75 in his pocket. Now, $1.75 back then was more than it is now. And more and more, it was more than it is now as the government run by Democrats and squishy Republicans who just put an R after the name, but they don't stand for anything, spend the money of future generations with reckless abandon. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's a godlessness and a selfishness which reminds me too much of Mao Zedong. I don't care what happens after I'm gone. I don't care what you do to my wife and my children. Mao Zedong told the Communist Party leadership, towards the end of his life. Just leave me alone. Just let me finish out my days in peace, in luxury, 
in self-indulgence. I don't care what happens to anybody else. That's the governing philosophy right now in the United States of America. We don't care what the bill is going to be to our children and our grandchildren, those of us who have children and grandchildren. We don't care how this is going to negatively impact their ability to provide for their families or be safe or be secure or be independent. But too many Christians listen to what it is that Winsome Sears just said in that victory speech, and they say, oh, well, that's not good. That's carnal and fleshly for her to talk about building wealth for future generations. No, it isn't. It's biblical, actually. It is biblical to work to leave a godly legacy. It is good to leave an inheritance for your children's children. In fact, that's what Proverbs says. It says that the righteous leaves an inheritance for his children's children, for his grandchildren. Not just his children, his children's children. He leaves an inheritance for. Well, that involves intentionality and forethought and planning and being careful and paying attention and doing the math and working hard. That involves maintaining a good reputation and a good name and being circumspect and not selfish and not irresponsible. You don't do that by operating according to economic fantasies. You do that by operating according to economic facts. And the devil of it is that in order for Republicans to even try to do that, practically speaking, they have to fight uphill against a generation of politicians and self-servants, not public servants, self-servants who have enriched themselves at the American people's expense. Spending money like it's going out of style, putting regulations in place at strategic times in strategic places so that they can reap a windfall bribe, essentially, from foreign governments, from corporations, from powerful, wealthy people who are in it for themselves. And it isn't first and foremost those who are trying to offer a bribe that we should be angry at. We should be angry at those who presented themselves as public servants. And meanwhile, you give them enough money and they will hand you the keys to the city gates so you can march in in the middle of the night and ransack the place. They do not care. You give them enough money, you oil and grease the wheels with a donation for a speech or whatever at your institution or at a friendly institution, and you can funnel the money into their pockets to get them to do what you want them to do. It doesn't make objective sense for all of our benefit, for the nation's benefit. It's not right, but it does make sense when you realize who it is that gave a strategic contribution and how to this person, to their family, to their charity, supposed charity, their nonprofit organization, but it is for profit. I look at this family here, and you couldn't see it in the sound clip that I just played for you at the top of the episode, but I look at this family, Winsome Sears and her husband, both of them Marine Corps vets, which is interesting. I'd love to hear more about that story. Their two daughters standing on either side of them up there and pushing back on this false narrative, which is designed to manipulate us and bully us 
by turn into slavery. America is a racist country. We're right back where we started, or even worse than before the civil rights movement, than before the Emancipation Proclamation. And they're up there saying, absolutely not. That is absurd. I love that she says in her speech, I am black. If you can see me, I am black. And I have always been black. That's a shot across the bow to our current president or resident of the White House of the United States of America. If you don't know whether to vote for me or vote for the Republican, then you ain't black. I'm sorry, that's just flat not true. And it's insulting. That's a very entitled attitude. If this were a dating scenario, a dating game, that would not be a great line to tell the girl. If you don't know whether to ask me out or go out with me or go out with this guy over here, then you ain't a woman. Wow, really? Someone thinks a little highly of themselves. And someone counts on a friendly media carrying water for them day in, day out, covering up scandals and making up scandals that are not true about anyone and anything that gets in their way. But we as Americans, we have to be smarter than that. And we have to, as Christian Americans, get past this cheap grace mentality wherein we suppose it's the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel in word. And then when it comes to living out the implications of God's word, we get cold feet. We're afraid of making enemies. We're afraid of having enemies. We think that having enemies is an indication that we have erred. Well, I'm sorry, but you have enemies. Whether you are willing to call them enemies or you aren't, you have enemies. You have a enemy of your soul, that is the devil. Be sober and vigilant for your adversary. Your adversary, your adversary, that word means enemy. Your adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And besides that, you have Jesus saying over and over again, throughout his public ministry, pray for those who persecute you. You will be persecuted. The world has hated me. It will hate you. Period. Count on it. Why does the world hate Jesus? Why did the world in Jesus' flesh, in his incarnation, hate Jesus? Because Jesus posed a threat to the paradigm. He posed a threat to the governing philosophy of the community, of the status quo. That's not what it's all about. That's not why we do everything. We do everything because we're trying to subject every thought and every institution to Jesus, to the Father, the will of the Father. But it shouldn't be our goal to avoid the world hating us any more than it should be our goal to just do things solely to be hated. I would say if our goal is to not be hated, to always be liked, to put everything in such a way as to offend nobody, even when it means watering down the full implications of the gospel, we are missing out on what the good Lord has for us. Not only we, but our children also, our children's children also. And we ought not to be cavalier about that. We ought not to shrug about that. And we ought not to spiritualize that.
We should not spiritualize the fact that we have a responsibility before God, according to God, to work as unto the Lord. Well, if I'm working as unto the Lord and I'm in a situation where I have an enemy, and I, I, newsflash, I have had enemies, I do have enemies, I have people that don't like me very much. Do I stop everything? I'm working excellently, possibly, hopefully, by God's grace. Do I stop everything and try to just make that one person who's angry with me happy? Well, no. No, that's not reasonable. Do I pull back and say, you know what? I quit. I resign. I retire. I'm done. I'm just going to preach the gospel. Well, no. And and I'm not called to that. We're not called to that. The gospel is the good news. The good news does not become a kind of works righteousness wherein we're made righteous by preaching the gospel. We are already righteous in God's eyes by virtue of the gospel. And then the responsibility is to live in light of the implications of the gospel, live in light of the grace which has already been given to us in Christ Jesus. But if we get it the other way around, we could say, well, it's not by works that we're saved. And yet, let's focus on the gospel. Don't talk about anything else practical, pragmatic, of material concern. Tell everybody else to be warmed and filled. We're supposed to be about the gospel. No, 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 no. Can't do that. We can't do that. Now, we can't do what the progressives do with their theology, where they say, The whole gospel message is just that. It's just about social change. It's just about progress. It's just about racial reconciliation and social justice. You can't do that. You cannot do that. But so also, if you do the opposite, but along the same line of thinking, where I'm only going to preach the gospel and I don't want to get into the implications of the gospel for how we treat one another, how we orient our homes, our families, our communities, then you're just making the same mistake in a different way. It isn't, first and foremost, about the work. It's first and foremost about God's purposes. What is God's desire for us in Christ Jesus? It is not to be unproductive. It's not to be passive. It's not to be unfruitful. It's to bear fruit. (laughs) It's to bear good fruit. It is to represent. Paul says in Thessalonians that we should aspire to live a godly life, minding our own business, quietly working with our hands. That sounds great. But in order to do that, you have to have a certain modicum of stability in your field. How can you quietly go about working with your hands when there's absolute bedlam and chaos and anarchy going on all around. You can't. You've got to stop the chaos. You've got to stop the hemorrhage. And so you look at the concept of a republic, a nation of laws. Well, we're not under law. We're under the grace. But by God's grace... We should not murder one another. We should not bear false witness against one another. We should not steal from one another. We should not 
covet what belongs to one another. And the scriptures are very clear, just as we are not supposed to be legalistic or moralistic and interpret all of God's word as a roadmap for becoming moral people, we also cannot fall off the other side where we're lawless. Old Testament and New Testament, before the atoning sacrifice of Christ and after the atoning sacrifice of Christ, we are warned against lawlessness. We are not supposed to sin that grace might abound all the more. God forbid. And that gets at sins of omission and commission. So you shouldn't be accepting bribes. And you also should not be sitting idly by because you're afraid. You should be doing whatever it is that the good Lord has put in your hand to do with all your might as unto the Lord for however much time he's given you. So I want to congratulate Lieutenant Governor-elect Winsome Sears. Seems like a neat lady. Seems like a sharp tack. And I really enjoyed uh, your speech there, Winsome. Congratulations on your victory. Do well. God bless you. For all of the rest of us, I think we could take a good long hard look at how are we seeking the welfare of the city to which Yahweh our God has brought us in our exile. I'm going to leave you with that this morning. God willing, my wife and I, we go to the mountains near Divide. Two nights, three days, today, tomorrow, and then coming back on Saturday. We're going to have a good time. We're going to celebrate 15 years of marriage. We're going to celebrate my 35th birthday tomorrow. So I'm going to close out here at 35 minutes. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.